Today's episode is proudly sponsored by Medicine Forward, a grassroots impact network elevating the voice of physician change leaders. Medicine Forward is dedicated to creating a brighter future for healthcare by fostering collaboration, innovation, and positive change within the medical community. With a strong commitment to improving the human patient physician relationship, Medicine Forward brings together forward thinking physicians, healthcare leaders, and change makers to tackle the most pressing challenges in healthcare today. Their initiatives span advocacy, education, and community engagement, all driven by the shared goal of creating a healthier and more equitable healthcare system. As a trusted sponsor of our podcast, Medicine Forward exemplifies their mission to promote meaningful dialogue, facilitate interdisciplinary collaboration, and inspire innovative solutions for a healthier world. We're honored to have Medicine Forward as a partner in our journey to explore the latest developments and insights in healthcare. To learn more about Medicine Forward and their work, visit their website at medicineforward.org. Join us in supporting this remarkable organization as they continue to drive positive change and transformation in healthcare. Welcome to the Ripple of Change podcast, searching for our quadruple aim, where we highlight, celebrate, and extol others creating positive change in healthcare and beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Todd R. Otten. Today's topic is leadership in healthcare. I am joined by two incredible change agents and leaders. First, with a repeat appearance on the show, Dr. Gabe Charbonneau, co-founder of Medicine Forward, and our guest, Dr. Zev Newworth author of two books, actually, Reframing Healthcare, A Roadmap for Creating Disruptive Change, which I will freely admit is on my list. I haven't gotten to it just yet, but it's right in my wheelhouse for sure. And his newest book, Beyond the Walls, which, having read it, is fantastic. Um, I usually decide how much I like a book by how many times I've highlighted things. Uh, And let's just say there's a lot of pink throughout the book. So well done, sir. (laughs) In addition, you're welcome. In addition to those two wonderful endeavors, Sev has a podcast called Creating a New Healthcare, which is also fantastic. So I'm thrilled to have both of you with us today. And Gabe, with our new format, my friend, the floor is yours. Uh, awesome. Thank you, Todd and, and Zev. It's a, it's just such a pleasure to be here with both of you guys today. I have uh, tremendous respect for, for each of you. And Zev, I've been a fan at a distance for a while. Um, my friend Jeff Cohn first introduced me to some of your work. I'm not sure if you remember Jeff, but he said, you, you better check this guy out as a disruptor, especially as a positive disruptor. Um, and so I've, I've been following along. Um, and uh, listening to some of your podcasts, prepping for uh, for this one. In fact, like I, I listened to the one with Don Berwick yesterday and got really fired up about some of it. And actually, Todd and I were were chatting in prep for this call. Um, I posted some on on Twitter of some of Don's comments, and it started blowing up. And most of the responses were very very positive. And then there were some of those trolling type comments, and I was um, brought immediately into that space of like doing my internal work on on my own triggers and how to respond or, or not respond um i thought of all these like you know witty or brilliant or what i thought were the truth answers and ultimately came up to like i just need to keep my mouth shut and keep work doing this internal work <laughs> but but anyway it struck a you know it struck a chord don 
um, is mm-hmm. just awesome. And his his level of depth in terms of like exploring the healthcare system and like what what it is and um, goals that we might strive for has been inspiring to me for a long time. So that's part of why I picked that one. Um, so as far as as far as intro, I I'll just talk a little bit more and then jump into mm-hmm. questions for you, Zev. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to to start with just the the concept behind behind beyond the walls because uh, mm-hmm. that also resonated a lot with me. I I'm a family practice stock in rural Montana, and um, I I spent time in local uh, leadership for a while, and really felt like I was having the same experience of, of you of the Groundhog Day meetings where it was like the same meeting over and over again, and we just weren't getting anywhere. And that um, that was actually part of my inspiration for being involved with something outside of our organization, which is some of the other things, including Medicine Forward. It's a chance to color outside the lines um, and to um, to move to a place of innovating instead of complaining. Um, and uh, I, I, I wanted to maybe read that a quote from the walled city and then let you respond to that. Because for people that haven't read the book, I think it, it, it paints an interesting picture. Um, so this is from uh, Jim McKelvey from the Innovation Stack. Draw a giant circle around everything humankind knows. Picture that circle as a physical border, like the wall around an ancient city. Medieval Edinburgh was such a city with a giant stone wall protecting and confining the citizens inside. As literally crappy as life in that city was, it was preferable to the wilderness outside. But not for everyone. Some people left the city. Maybe they looked over the wall and asked, what can I do out there? Beyond the wall, there were no laws except for those of nature. And because nature uses capital punishment to enforce basically everything, the price of failure is steep. If you stay within this metaphorical wall, you are a sane business person. If you leave the world of the known, you are either an entrepreneur or a corpse. It is these crazy entrepreneurs and their perfect problems that bring us to the future. Um, I'm just a little bit curious about this quote and you know, how did you find it? Why does it resonate so deeply with you? Um, and maybe like, how does this relate to healthcare leaders and the kind of leaders that we want to see? Well, Gabe, uh, first of all, thank you for thank you and Todd for having me on. I, I am seriously a, a huge fan of Todd's, and um, and uh, I, I from a distance have known about you and your work. So uh, the same. Um, it's really thank you for reading that. Um, I, I put that quote in the I think it was in the uh, preface or intro to the book Beyond the Walls. So the story is this: I'd written the book, and the title, the working title for, you know, two years in writing the book had been, uh, something along the lines of the future is here and now. And I know that that title sucks. And so, and I knew it. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I knew it, uh, for two years, but I just didn't have uh, a title that I loved. And so, and, and, and that was a descriptive, you know, the future is here and now. But, um, but one night, literally I, I woke up in the middle of the night and I remembered there was a book I had read and I couldn't remember the author. All I could remember that the cover was, was yellow. And, um, so I searched the house literally, it was like three o'clock in the morning and I searched, I couldn't find it. I woke up, uh, you know, later that morning and I, 
have to, and 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 I, I I you know again tore the house apart looking everywhere for that book and of course it was sitting in my office on my shelf right in front of me the whole time. Why wouldn't you, right? <laughs> right. It was literally just staring me in the face, and um, so I opened it up to the first chapter, and there was the image of uh, medieval Edinburgh. Um, you know, that walled city and, you know, and I read the the passage you just read or reread it. Actually, I had actually underlined it from the time I had read it probably two years before then. And I thought, oh my God, that's it. What I've been doing for almost a decade is interviewing. I've been going beyond the walls and interviewing these leaders and entrepreneurs um, who are exactly as Jim McKelvey described. And then I thought, you know, the title is Beyond the Walls. And and what was really fascinating was I had the book written in three parts, um, sort of digital health, um, humanism and healthcare, and sort of the business model revolution in healthcare. And what was fascinating was that beyond the walls i had it fit there were three parts to it there was the sort of physical literally getting beyond the walls of the hospitals and the clinics and that was part one of my book that was the digital and 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 telehealth and virtual health and automated care and 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 advanced data and analytics that was part one beyond the walls literally getting beyond those those brick and mortar walls of the systems we built the part two was sort of the conceptual getting beyond the walls. And that was really this notion of we we had to transcend all the all the legacy isms in healthcare. You know, it, it, it's just if you really stop to think about it, healthcare and, and this is not by the way a criticism, it's an observation and an opportunity, but healthcare is full of racism and sexism and ageism and ableism right ableism and classism and and reductionism and industrialism and these isms which you know we could go into some depth then with many many examples and a ton of literature on and research but those isms have to be supplanted we have to make that conceptual beyond the walls leap to humanism and that was part two of the book and then and it mapped perfectly and part three was the systemic or market beyond the walls and and again um you know part three of my book is just example after example of the of the transformative new business models that are being applied in healthcare and and, and that was that was the market or, or systemic beyond the walls and so it was sort of concrete conceptual and and systemic and um I'll, I'll just end you know by saying this there were two parts where i disagree with jim mccalvey or i would say that that I would I would advance his thinking. The first is that I I don't see beyond the walls as being I don't see it as being outside the walls. I see, beyond is not the same as outside. And a lot of people have talked about the book, and and in, even in fact in introducing me, and they talk about the fact of you know out you know people outside the walls. I, I actually don't see it that way. I see be and beyond has a very very specific definition. Beyond doesn't mean outside. Beyond means to transcend, to yeah. surpass. Yeah. And I, I think that, that, right? And I think that there are people 
you know, so-called people or, or, or so-called inside the walls or in legacy traditional healthcare, and, you know, who are entrepreneurial and they're, and they're just amazing conscientious leaders. And I think it really is, we have to make the walls irrelevant and that that's what that means. So that was one distinction I had from, and difference I had with Jim McKelvey and, and with due respect. And, and the other is that, um, I disagree with him that it's sane to stay inside the walls. It's sane up until the point where the walls begin to be a problem and an yeah. existential problem. And I think it's absolutely clear that with, with rare exception, um, and we can talk about the exception, but with rare exception for the vast, 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 over 99% of us at this present moment, those walls are actually harming us and I in so many different ways and and they're unsustainable and they're insufferable and I would suggest that it's actually insane at this point to stay um behind the walls and 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 so I think I think sanity is getting beyond the walls yeah I I share that sentiment so much um and Todd, I I don't want to dominate this conversation, but I'm I'm just so excited. So please, like, jump in and shut me up if if oh, you need to. Oh, um, sure, no problem. I, let me I, I had a, just one one thing yeah, real quick. Yeah. <laughs> I, people because people couldn't see like as Zev's talking, like Gabe and I are smiling, clearly agreeing with like everything he's saying for, for the vast majority of it. Right. The one thing that I I I can't help myself but to comment, yeah. and now I'm wondering, I have to ask other people. I too, when I was writing the ripple of change, woke up in the middle of the night because I had been debating on the conclusion. And I, I, the conclusion to me is a very important piece of the book because it's kind of this, I don't want to spoil it, kind of an open door. But now I'm wondering like how many authors out there just wake up for that key moment where their subconscious is driving them to the solution that's, that's probably been there the whole time, such as the book that was sitting right in front of you. So just fascinating. Yeah. I find that fascinating. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. You know, I'll, it's interesting, Todd, about writing. I had a um, editor I was working with closely for a few months, actually, with this, not with not with this book, but actually with the, the, a precursor to it, which I then, I, I decided not to write that book. And I put that book aside and, and wrote this one. But I was working with her and she was a, a you know, um, a very, very experienced editor and author herself and amazing and um, lots of wisdom had, had been writing and, and for years and years and editing for years and years. And um, she said to me, you're going to notice this phenomena. And she called it the third eye. And she said, when you write a book and potentially when you write anything that, that takes some time, you're going to notice that you start to see the world through that third eye, through the book. And she said to me, what's fascinating is even when you dream the third eye, you see the world through the third eye. And so I've never forgotten imagery and um, I find it to be so beyond true. It's just, you know, everything becomes an opportunity to think about your thoughts and about the book you're writing. And I imagine the same thing is true for other creative acts, whether it's painting or, you know, or, um, you know, other visual arts or, or, you know, music or, or theater that, that, you know, you use everything you 
be an experience, especially as you're trying to create something. So yeah, fascinating commentary on, on, on creativity. I, I haven't written a book yet, but I, um, the, the way I can relate to this is I, I think that neuroscience would support that we, we overvalue the conscious mind. Um, one of the, one of the things that I'm thinking of is, um, Reed Hoffman talks about sometimes before going to bed, like giving your subconscious a problem to work on and, and how you might wake up in the morning with ideas for a creative solution. Um, and I think this also makes me think about Ian McGilchrist. I don't know if you guys have read his book about the divided brain, but how we're in such a left brain dominant world. Um, and it's all about this kind of logical go out and reach for things and get them and take action. But the right brain, that's so much more of a process of integration and creativity has been sort of pushed aside. Um, and um, actually, my Emily Silverman, who um, was one of the founders of Medicine Forward, in interviewed Ian. We met him um, wow. in Ireland at the .md conference. So if you guys have, have not come across him yet, maybe check out his interview on Emily's Nocturnus podcast. But anyway, I'm I'm digressing a little bit because like you guys are just fun to talk to. Uh, bringing this back to and maybe there's a thread here. Bringing this back to leadership, um, I, I had a softer ball question that I'm going to bring up later and go to this one um, because I think I think it's really important, which is our our state of stuckness. And Zev, you um, in in your introduction, we're talking about this transcending of the walls as part of how we get past the stuckness. And I think the other thing that I'm thinking about a lot is um, this uh, this us versus them mindset that comes up a lot. Um, listening to some of your your podcasts in preparation, um, I can tell you have you have a significant amount of empathy for everyone in healthcare, and that's for people that provide care on the front lines, for patients that receive care, but also for healthcare leaders in our institutions. And I, um, on my best days, I have that mature mindset too. There are definitely times though that I have a hard time and I'm quite critical of some of our healthcare leaders. I'm wondering if you would comment a little bit on this, um, this stuckness and the us versus them mindset and that, you know, how does this, how does this apply to the topic of, of leadership and the type of leadership that we need and the type of leadership we need to exhibit? Yeah. For me, it's, it's a very, very intentional mindset, which is, <clears throat> I, I, I think we're all in this together. Right. And, you know, we learned long, long time ago, decades ago, from Deming and others, these these giants of process and reliability and you know organizational operations that the system will always win. Whatever the system is, it's going to dominate. Um, you know, it will determine individuals' behaviors more more than anything else. And and you know, the behavioral economists have taught us that. And so, you know, uh, and 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 social network theory has taught us that. So so I, I, I guess I have that being a student of behavior change and organizational change and process improvement. I, I just have that sort of very, I would say, scientific perspective in mind. And I realize that, you know, people are, are, are acting within the context of a, of a overarching framework, a system. And, you know, quite honestly, people are just trying to do their best. And, and that is another, I, I would say, belief that I believe fundamentally that people have good intention and yes. are good. Um, 
And again, there are exceptions, but um, for the most part. And so, you know, and, and again, you know, who are you going to blame? I mean, it's so easy and there's so much I'm looking at my bookshelf and there's so many books that sort of had that attitude of, you know, pointing figures and, you, you know, God, yeah. there's documentaries and, and articles and it's like, you know, blame the big bad hospitals, you know, yeah. or blame. I mean, it used to be that we blamed the big bad doctors in their offices, you know, and um, and by the way, there's there's a lot of fodder for that. I mean, we could yes. we could dive into that if you want. There's a lot uh, around that. But, you know, point, you know, or now, you know, blame big bad insurance companies or big bad pharma, you know, and yeah. big bad government. And so but it's complaining. I, <laughs> yeah, it's it's not it's not solving the problem. I, I actually think, and this it gets a little quasi, you know, philosophic and religious. But you know, I, I mean, the teachings of most religions is you know, how, you know, you know, if you you look at that splinter in your your neighbor's eye, how about the log in yours? You know, and yes. again, I'm 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 quoting from you know from Christian theology there, but. I, I really believe that's true. It's it's I know it to be true for me. I mean, I'm I'm expert at pointing out your faults, but um it's not so much fun to talk about mine. <laughs> and so Zeb, Zeb, I don't know if you've uh if you're that active on Twitter, but my profile literally says accomplice in a broken healthcare system. And the reason I changed it to that's that cool. was I, I I realized that all of us who are part of it are part of both the potential solution but also part of the problem. And there, there are days yeah. at work when I'm practicing where I, I know that I'm part of the problem. I don't like it. I don't like to think of myself that way, but it actually was liberating to write that. Well, it, it also, I love it because it also creates the, you know, opportunity for, for positive action, which is I can actually do something about what I'm engaged in, what I'm involved in. I, I, it's very hard for me to do something that some, you know, to interfere or disrupt what someone else is doing, especially when they're distant and they're big and all that. And so I do think it changes the mindset. Now, now let me just, let's just, let me just say this, that I don't, I, I think you can be an observer and I think you could be truthful and I think you could even be critical without being blaming and yes. um you know and i think so so i don't you know it, it's this is not to be you know i don't think this is about being some you know a crazy you know hopeful optimist yeah. you know and, and non-realist i i think let's be real let's i mean a lot of what i do and i i mean, know about you know you you both do too is hold up a mirror um yes. and, and 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 then again there it, it's also very very uh very practical because you know, again, you cannot, you cannot solve a problem. You cannot change the current situation unless you first know what it is. You know, this is the very same. If you don't know where your, your ship is, your boat is, you can't navigate. And so, yep. you know, you can't triangulate. So I, I think it's, it's just a, it's just a very, very practical, non-blaming approach is just say, look, here's the reality. Let's, let's understand it. Let's call it, let's, you know, be honest and, and let's discuss it, you know, and then, and then, you know, let's talk about where we want to go and, and how do we get there and what's the first step. And I think it's a very, very action oriented. I, I, you know, again, I think like all of us, I think on a personal level and you sort of set up before, like on your best days, I think, I think we are all trying on a daily basis to just, you know, you know, move forward and sustain ourselves emotionally and otherwise and physically and relationally and financially, but we're all trying to do the same thing. And, you know, I look for 
tools and attitudes that sort of create the psychological infrastructure as well as you know the relational in infrastructure as well as the you know environmental infrastructure to allow me to or you know optimize the possibility of moving forward I love that, Zev. And um, the one thing that I think Todd's heard me say is I often think about the stages of grief in terms of like our experience with healthcare. And so, you know, if you're if you're not ready to admit that you're part of the problem, you're kind of in the denial stage. And I back to that on my best days, I'd like to be in the acceptance stage. And um, and then there's um, David Kessler's book about the the sixth stage of grief, grief, which is finding meaning. And mm. so I think sometimes it's like recognizing where we are, but then also like where other people might be in those stages of grief. And also like, to me, that's very optimistic that, um, you know, we just have to all kind of go through this process. And when we get to this, like acceptance and finding meaning, like that's when, that's where we can do some interesting things together and really, um, break up the status quo. This is this is so fun. I, I at one point I was going to raise my hand because I wanted to say something. <laughs> uh, but you, it's just a pleasure to listen to the two of you. It's it's brilliant. Um, just a couple comments. I, I think um, I, I agree. You know, we were very intentional with using the word "our" uh, with our quadruple aim because I feel like we're all part of this. You know, quote unquote system or lack thereof, depending on what uh, circle you're in. I, I recently, uh, you know, last week gave my first keynote, The Power of One Plus One. And one of the things I challenged the audience with was do something in a positive way. Try and make a positive change in one area. Imagine if the 35 to 40 people that were in that room tried to do something positive within that institution. You're going to start to see some traction, right? And then at the tail end of the talk, I talked about is your mindset one of learned helplessness? Or is your mindset one of using a roadmap? And, and obviously, I was talking about our quadruple blame, but using whatever roadmap to start to facilitate some change. And I think all these components that we're talking about are, you know, aspects of, of really a good leader, you know, realizing when you're making mistakes, realizing we're part of the problem, looking in the mirror. Those things are all so important. I, I was telling Gabe before we started recording, I remember times in the past when I was the accidental diminisher, you know, inadvertently taking over a meeting that I had no intention of doing. And it's when we all learn from those things and self-reflect that we can go forward and, and really do our, do our part. So, all right, that was enough of me. Back to you, Gabe. No, it's great. <laughs> it, is, it is great. And this, this all ties together, Todd, and I, you really teed up nicely. I was going to um, talk about incentives and kind of a compass that guides us and the quadruple aim um, specifically. Um, thinking about. Um, so I guess I'd like to, sh in my notes, I wrote down this Upton Sinclair quote, I think about a lot. And it's the one, it's difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary yeah. depends on his not understanding it. So yeah. how do we get people's salaries depending on them doing the right thing for the public good? Um, my follow-up question is, should CEOs carry more personal downside risk for not achieving the quadruple aim? Yeah, I, I I think about that quote a lot too. It it comes up often, um, and I think it comes up often for so often for so many of us because it's it just represents the truth of the situation. Um, you know, it's it's hard when you get paid for something. Um, 
it, it's it is it, it is hard to 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 do things that are counter to that for lots of reasons you know one of which is you know you you know most of us need to make a living and um and we want to most of us want to keep our jobs uh so that we can do that um and continue to you know find meaning in our jobs and um the other thing is if you're in an organization any organization profit or nonprofit. Um, you know, if you're not running the business well and you're going counter and you're ignoring what you get paid for, what the organization gets paid for, it doesn't matter how well-meaning you are or if you're right or wrong, you're not going to be in that seat very, very long. Yes. Um, and so, um, and so, you know, I think, you know, when the stakes get really, really high as the organizations get really, really big. And so I think, I think that quote is really spot on. And so where it, it really one of the things that leads me to to begin thinking about is is you know how do we at whatever level we're in in the system how do we advocate for changing the system and this is again is another fundamental principle right of 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 changes that both both on a personal level as well as an organizational systemic level is that you don't really change by changing yourself you change by changing things around you. Again, whether that's the physical environment, it's the relational environment, it's the psychological environment, change those things and they will change you. And so here, I I think that, you know, we need to figure out how, in fact, to go to the level of policy and payment and change that. And, and there are ways to do that. There are ways to advocate for that. There are ways that we could be working together um, more intentionally and collaboratively with a stronger voice to 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 create those that change i think within organizations the same thing is true there are levers we can pull and experiments we could run to move in that direction more to change the payment and compensation um and so but it is it you know this you know this is i think one of the most serious and again you know again I've, I've done interviews podcast interviews for almost 10 years now and i can't think of one interview i've had where i've asked the question around payment and you know the expert hasn't said you know it it is fundamentally the single biggest issue in healthcare is that you know we we will get what we pay for um and so payment and particularly the shift away from volume driven payment and um uh, to, to to you know procedure payment to uh, and process payment more to 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 outcomes payment and um that's you know a payment based on on you know efficiency and 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 cost effectiveness and doing the right thing so it's um it's a it's a core issue it, this is a brilliant discussion and i'm going to chime in for half a second here um when I was an ACO medical director, it was about five years ago, maybe six years ago, I was very close to getting our contracts changed from essentially a, a, a you know full uh, fee-for-service productivity model to decoupling that from the quality and citizen metrics. Oh, we were so close. And I just, I don't think I could fully articulate how to make it happen to where I could get everybody on board with it. it but the interesting part of it was at the time we were doing tremendous financially patients were coming in. And, and a big part of it is we were following the quadruple aim with wellness being, you know, a huge component of what we were doing. Fast forward about a year, 
a bigger system took over and everything we had worked for just essentially got flushed down the drain. Mm. And oh, by the way, fast forward a couple more years, they lost, you know, a hundred million dollars in a given year. So, um, you know, it is what it is. Um, there's a lot to, yeah, there's a lot to unpack in this, in this conversation. Um, and I guess the, the story that I'd like to add, because I, I don't know that, that Zev is familiar um, one of one of the friends that I've made over the last five years is the founder of this rural primary care startup in Oregon um, called Orchid Health, and um, his name is Orion Falvey. And he, I met him through a, a fellow Montana friend, and she said, "You just you need to meet this guy. He's doing something different." And so he and his co-founder um, were in college at the time, and they won this social business challenge to start something, and they decided with a lot of naivety (laughs) that healthcare would be where they go. Um, And it was not smooth sailing, but fast forward, they've built something that is um, rural primary care that is largely value-based. So part of their early success was reducing ER utilization in the communities where they um, were established um, and saving a significant amount of money from that. Oregon has these things called CCOs um, as payer models that sort of enabled that. And the governor um, had been a physician. So there was, a, you mm. know, the, the, the location had some interesting things going for it. But essentially, along the way, somewhere they figured out that um, that the well-being of their workers was really important. And they developed these these four operating pillars. And in order of priority, op- pillar number one is is well-being of the, of the workers. Uh, number two is patient relationships and trust. Number mm. three is community health. And number four is financial sustainability. Now, what's interesting to me about that is here we are in 2024 mm-hmm. and they have an operating margin of 10% for primary care, not attached to a hospital. Mm. So they're, they're profitable. They're not losing money and they're, they're growing. So they're up to five clinics now. And if you ask wow. me what I'm excited about, it's like, growing alternatives like this um because to todd's point you would do all this work inside of an an, a big organization and then something comes along at the 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 basically like the signature of someone's pen undoes everything that you just did and so so i just wanted to make you aware of orchid health because it's a really interesting model um yeah and i i didn't i didn't see that in the things that I did background on that, that was something you'd seen before. I, you know, they're largely under the radar outside of Oregon. Yeah, no, that's great. Thank you for sharing that, Gabe. I work at health. I will definitely look them up and, and maybe even try to reach out to them. I can make an introduction. I'm happy to. That'd be super. I mean that that'd be unbelievable. I think, you know, I think there, you know, there are, you know, sort of tailwinds and headwinds here. And I think, you know, I think about, you know, very much, thinking about okay where are the doors opening where are the cracks that you know we could enter into i think you you know showing examples of of where this can work and how it works and learning from them i I call this um you know this notion of positive i didn't name this but the notion of positive deviance you know it's it's looking for those exceptions that are out there that are just way above the curve it's not normal variation and they're doing well and doing different and i think you know like you just listed you know, their four pillars, it's it's like, what is it that they're actually doing? How does their business model work? How does their clinical model work? How does their revenue model work? And, you know, just really understanding that. And then, the, you know, the, the question is, you know, how do we 
how do we adapt that and scale that or spread that? I think that's really the question, right? And, yep. you know, there are other other things that are happening along these lines that are super positive. I mean, if you look at the Medicaid managed care movement, if you and growth of that, if you look at Medicare Advantage, if you look at the whole direct to employer movement, um, you know, these are these are areas. And even what's surprising to me is how value-based care and payment is shifting to be, you know, much more condition specific. So even in the world of MSK, and of, of all the places where you would think that volume would drive payment, you're seeing orthopedists um, really turn to value-based care for, you know, literally taking risks on, on multiple codes that relate to musculoskeletal health. And I, I think that's, I mean, it's just such a brilliant and hopeful set of opportunities out there. And that's what I mean. It's like, can we look for those and instead of blaming and finger pointing and talking about what's wrong, let's talk about what's right. And by focusing on that narrative, let's actually start to act on it and just expand that. Yeah, that, that is fantastic. That is fantastic. Um, I'm going to chime in there. Just, just pure gold with some of that. So I, I, I truly appreciate that. Um, this is beautiful. And, you know, it just, it speaks to the fact that, you know, leadership comes in many forms, you know, medicine is, is far from black and white, right. And it's, it's, how do we, how do we support, how do we prop up those that are willing to take the calculated risk, think of different ways, think of how we go, you know, beyond the walls, how we create our own little ripple, uh, to coin a phrase, so to speak. So before we, I, we put our half an hour mark, uh, give or take, I think, and, I'm going to put in a couple plugs here, and then maybe if both of you would like to give one final thought uh, before we close, I think that would be fantastic. This should have uh, been like a three-hour call, man. Well, well there, there's... <laughs> hey, not that any of us has three hours, but just absolutely. in terms of how much we could talk about. Well, you know what's been amazing about this new format is it's gotten people that have never, uh, quite a few times, have never met before, had an opportunity to talk that then fosters additional relationships. So so the reality of this, I think this podcast is a different version of leadership and how we can use different formats to create really positive things. So for those of you that don't know, uh, as I mentioned earlier, Gabe uh, is one of the co-founders of Medicine Forward and the website is medicineforward.org. And I may know another key troublemaker who's involved with that, who's, <laughs> who's speaking currently. Um, and as I said, uh, Zev, his current book is Beyond the Walls, uh, and his podcast is Creating a New Healthcare. So having said that, I'd like to give each of you maybe 30 seconds or so, one final thought uh, before we uh, sign off. I mean, I think, you know, I'll, we, one comment, and I've been thinking about this a lot, is when we really have been trained to focus on coming up with solutions to coming up with answers, all of us from, you know, it's built into our society from the moment we go to school and, you know, then college and, you know, if we go to medical school or graduate school and then in work, you know, it's all about, you know, really finding the answer. I, I think that for me, what I've been engaged in, over the past few years is really focusing on, you know, are we asking the right questions and, you know, are we asking new and different and divergent questions that will 
allow us to see and create new possibilities. And I think one of the things I've discovered, you know, in this decade experience I've been in now of talking to these positive deviants, these divergence, these beyond the wall leaders is that they, they mostly began their journey with, um, with a different type of question. And, um, you know, one of the things I think about is just to make this very concrete, it's like, you know, we, we, we've been talking for years about the notion in legacy healthcare of how do we, how do we disrupt ourselves? There's so many new disruptors in the market. How do we disrupt ourselves? I don't think that's the right question. I think disruption is a side effect. Um, I don't believe these bold leaders and these courageous entrepreneurs that have gone beyond the walls are asking themselves, how do I disrupt the hospital system? What they're asking is how do I advance a value proposition? And I think that, I think that leaders in legacy systems and healthcare, um, can and should. And I think we, we, we must start to ask that question of ourselves. I think that's the point. And, and so it's, it's that kind of different question and, you know, really challenging, um, our, our firmly held beliefs and our assumptions and the way things have worked. Um, we're, we're in a moment of time where, you know, clearly things are not stable. Things are not going to stay the same. They're changing faster and faster. And so, you know, doing more of the same, it's, it's not like football or baseball or any sport where, you know, I'm, and I'm a big believer in this mantra, which is stick to the basics. Those work, those work. If the game stays the same, you know, basketball, right? I mean, the game fundamentally stays the same. Yes. The basics really, really are important, but what if the game is changing literally almost every day, um, for sure, every week or month, the idea of sticking to the basics, um, sticking to the way we've been doing things, sticking to the questions we've been asking, um, that's, that's really insane and, and it's harmful and it's not just harmful to us at this moment, it's harmful to our children and their children, because what we are going to hand them is an untenable situation. Yep. This is where it gets to the gets to the heart of it. Zeb, I was going to ask you um, in the interview about um, your dream for a better future, mm-hmm. and to to paint us a picture for that. But in, you know, since we're out of time, what I what I really wanted to do is turn that into a comment that I think we need to find ways to discover a shared dream that's inspiring for a, for a better future and figure out how we fit into that shared dream. And um, I I was speaking earlier um, last week at the Montana legislature to try and advance this project called Safe Haven, which is for reducing barriers to um, support for healthcare workers. And um, and my job was to connect it to the um, the reality of of our experience and why it mattered. And and so like I found myself pulling up slides with data, but also pulling up slides with pictures of people that meant something to me. And the, the mm-hmm. first one was the, the doctor that inspired me to become a physician first. And he mm-hmm. um, was this this primary care doc in a town of seven hundred people in rural Idaho. And 
like there was nothing but relationship in human relationship in that experience. I mean, the, the, the time that it was. Um, and this guy was on call for a whole town all the time and burnout was not his experience. Um, mm-hmm. Right. And how many times have we heard that, that, that like in years gone by, doctors worked very hard, but burnout wasn't what the experience was because it was so much was the focus on actually caring for people, using the skills and talents and who we are as human beings to care for others. And when we're doing that, we have almost unlimited en- energy. Um, and so that, I mean, that is part of my dream is recapturing that. And the second picture was mm-hmm. of my son who's 14 and exactly what you said about what kind of a, what kind of a world are we leaving for future generations? We, we, we have to be able to answer that question. I mean, if you have people that you love, um, which everyone does, like we have to be able to answer, answer that question. And then the third picture was, um, was someone who lost their life by suicide um, mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and they're just realizing like, what is at stake and why we have to do better. So that's, that's my closing sentiment is, is just like at the, at the heart level, um, why do we have to keep getting up and showing up even when it's hard? Gentlemen, this oh, has been, this has been amazing. Um, I, I just, I can't thank you both enough for sharing your thoughts, spending part of your day with with uh, myself and with Gabe is of um, leadership comes in, and, and I got so engrossed in the conversation, I forgot to do a ripple challenge question. So we're going to have to maybe put that for down the road. So leadership comes in many forms. And my ripple challenge today will be, how can you support a leader that you know, make a difference? So what positive ripple of change will you create today? Thanks again, you guys. Thank you, Todd. Thank you, Gabe. Yeah, thank you both. Grab your copy today. Ripple of Change is available in hard, soft, and ebook formats. More information at www.ourquadrupleaim.com. Thanks for listening, and let's turn ripples into waves of lasting change. Stay tuned to this podcast as we search for examples of our quadruple aim.